Welcome to Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For, the podcast dedicated to integrative health and healing from breast cancer and breast cancer treatment using the best of conventional and natural medicine. Your host, Deborah Beaumont, is an advanced practice nurse, functional medicine practitioner, and fellow breast cancer survivor. Today's episode is brought to you by Beyond Breast Cancer, Recovering Your Health and Vitality After Treatment. This is my virtual ongoing group program that I'm going to be starting in July. It's something that I am putting together to help women look at their health and recovery after treatment from a functional medicine perspective, incorporating some mind-body self-care skills. And it has been my experience that the period of time after treatment is a time when you can deal with some very unique health issues, yet there's not a lot of understanding or focus on how to restore your health and how to get your balance back. It's almost like everything has become a breast cancer diagnosis and you're like a walking cancer diagnosis. And yet there are some very real issues that we deal with afterwards that we need to, in a systematic and focused way, address to get our health and vitality back. It's not just a matter of the active cancer process, but it's a matter of having good energy, resolving brain fog, resolving neuropathy issues that come up, dealing with the anxiety and depression, which is an ongoing issue, you know, really getting that balance back. I find that functional medicine can be really helpful during that period of time. And so that's what I'm bringing to this group. I hope this is something that you have an interest in. And I would really encourage you to reach out and schedule a time to talk with me and we can talk about the group and, and see if it's a good fit for you and look at what you're dealing with. So you can reach me at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com. Yeah, let's just talk and I can let you know more about the group. I want to move on to today's topic, which uh, today's podcast is going to be a little bit different than the ones that I've uh, been putting up for the last few weeks. Today, I'm not interviewing a guest. I'm going to be talking to you about something that I am very passionate about and something that I've done a lot of training and research in, and that is the area of post-traumatic stress related to cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment. Now, if people know about post-traumatic stress, oftentimes they associate it with what we see on TV and in the movies, which is soldiers who go off to war and then they come back and they have a number of post-traumatic stress responses. A lot of that is um, exaggerated actually for the purposes of TVs and movies, but it's actually a very important and serious issue that I think we all need to be aware of. But I actually think that we need to broaden our understanding of it so that it's not just something that we associate with a situation of somebody being in a war. This is actually something that can happen when people experience any kind of overwhelming, intense, frightening event. It happens in a lot of situations, but for the purpose of today's show, I really want to talk about it in terms of illness, dealing with chronic illness and dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Because this diagnosis is so frightening and so overwhelming to people that I think it is fertile ground, start having incredible fear and anxiety reactions that sometimes can become very intense and overwhelming and people do not know what's going on and do not necessarily know how to get help for it. I think this is particularly relevant to cancer and to breast cancer treatment. One of the things that is unique about it when you're dealing with something like a cancer diagnosis as opposed to dealing with it when it's related to an event that's happened in your past is that 
many of the issues that we face going forward in terms of the anxiety about the illness, anxiety about recurrence, anxiety about management, making treatment decisions, that's not something that's in the past. That's something you have to deal with in a very uh, current situation and have to deal with going forward. And that can be difficult and overwhelming if you're suffering from post-traumatic stress and you've not acknowledged it and you're not getting support for it. That being said, I want to talk about uh, post-traumatic stress, a stress disorder and as a stress response and as a trauma response. I really think the best way to deal with this is to start with education. And the first thing that you want to know is that you're not crazy. Uh, Actually, post-traumatic stress is an emotional and psychological disorder, but you are not crazy. It can feel that way sometimes, which is actually part of the part that's so scary, but you're not. It is a normal response that many people have. They estimate about a fifth of people who go through a cancer diagnosis actually experience this. It is an exaggerated stress response. It can be very activating. It can be very frightening, and it can be very overwhelming, but it's also very treatable. And there are definitely things that you can learn learn to do in terms of self-care to help you deal with this. I think the more we know about it and the more we can engage in those activities, the better off we are. I became acutely aware of this when I went through my cancer treatment the first time. I actually had already experienced post-traumatic stress in my life from trauma in my past. I had not experienced it actively for a number of years. And then I went into my first uh, cancer diagnosis. I went into the hospital. I was supposed to be hospitalized for a couple of days, it turned out to be literally and figuratively a nightmare. Um, I had very unusual complications. They were not well addressed. I was not correctly diagnosed. I had serious life-threatening complications. Instead of being in the hospital a couple of days, I was in the hospital for six weeks. I was on numerous medications. I, I was confused and overwhelmed most of the time. Uh, I actually went through numerous uh, surgeries. I remember waking up in the ICU unit, not knowing where I was, not knowing what had happened to me. It was very overwhelming. And then after about six weeks, I went home. That was when I began noticing that I was having incredible fear and anxiety responses that were not normal. And one of the things that became very uh, much a problem for me is that um, I lived alone. I lived in a busy city. I lived in Oakland, California. And so there were a lot of noises, street noises outside. And I remember staying up all night fearful that when I heard noise outside my apartment, that people were trying to break into my apartment. I felt very vulnerable. I went home. I was paralyzed for two years in uh, my left leg. So I felt incredibly vulnerable, very reactive to all of this. I had already been through this, so I knew enough to know that something was going on and that it was an intense uh, overreaction, but didn't necessarily know how to stop it. In that period of time, I also started experiencing acute anxiety attacks when I would go out of my apartment. That was when I knew that I needed to get help. But I, I tell you that because 
in my case, I knew enough to know that I was having a post-traumatic stress experience. The first time that I had had that experience, I didn't know. I just knew that I was overwhelmed. I knew that I was frightened. I knew that I uh, was very reactive and I knew that I was hypervigilant, but I didn't know what was causing all of that. So the first place to start is education. So I tell you that story. I share that with you, uh, hoping that if you're in this place where you're experiencing the intensity of these kind of feelings and you don't know what's going on and you are afraid that you're going crazy, I want to tell you you're not, but it's something that you really need to focus on getting help and support for. Post-traumatic stress is not something that necessarily goes away on its own. You can experience it for a long time. You can experience it years later. Some people actually can have their first symptoms of post-traumatic stress years after the event has happened. Um, It's very pervasive, it's very intense, and it's definitely something that I want to encourage you to get help for if you think that it's something that is going on for you things that you can do to help yourself that uh, it is good to reach out to people who are trained in and experienced in dealing with post-traumatic stress. It's not something that even like a a normal therapist necessarily knows. They probably know about it, but they may not be trained in uh, the treatment methods that they have found to be effective in dealing with post-traumatic stress. It's just something that I want you to be knowledgeable of. And as I said, it doesn't have to be that you sit and self-diagnose yourself. If you're having a stress response, a trauma response, or experiencing um, overwhelming depression or anxiety, I definitely want to encourage you to get help. I want to let you know that you can reach out to me at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com, and I will help you identify what's going on, and I will definitely help you find support for what's going on. I want to talk about some things that are characteristic of post-traumatic stress in that talk about some of the ways that you might experience it if it's something that is happening for you. There's several categories from a clinical perspective that they look at, but as I said, I'm less concerned with a formal diagnosis and more concerned with you knowing that you don't have to suffer by yourself and you're not alone. One category that they look at when look at post-traumatic stress is something they call re-experiencing symptoms. And this is something that you might see in the movies in terms of flashbacks, where you're, you have repetitive, disturbing thoughts. Perhaps it's about a, a particular point in time that you keep going back to. It could possibly be the appointment where you got your diagnosis, or it could be uh, going into the hospital, or it could be waking up from surgery. It, it, it really could be any point in time. There's not really anything that it has to be one thing, but, but it's called a flashback. And people oftentimes experience that when you're sort of like daydreaming and you keep going back to a, to a distressing memory. That is what they call a flashback. Sometimes you can experience a flashback when you're having physical symptoms where your heart's racing, where you're hyperventilating, where you're feeling stressed, where you're, you have trouble catching your breath. All of those things oftentimes go along with that um, flashback experience. Some people experience it by having repetitive bad dreams. If you're experiencing it when you're dreaming, it might be something that's waking you up, that's giving you very poor sleep, or you have trouble getting to sleep at night to begin with. 
sometimes it can just be that you're having very repetitive, very anxious, frightening thoughts. And that sometimes comes up, as I said, um, when you're dealing with this in terms of the present tense or going forward, it can be that experience of having very frightening thoughts, the what if thoughts, what if this happens, what if that happens, what if it comes back, what, if, what do I do, you know, and kind of getting into that um, repetitive cycle. And that's kind of a fear response that can feed on itself. Other ways that this can be showing up is that people experience avoidance. You're trying to avoid situations that might make you remember that distressing event. You might want to avoid your doctor's appointments. You might want to avoid getting blood drawn or the idea of getting blood drawn may actually trigger a post-traumatic stress experience. Sometimes people will try to go numb in terms of their thoughts and uh, so that you're not having those distressing thoughts. A lot of times people do that by drinking or, or using other drugs, which is kind of understandable. You might turn to that, but not really a good thing to do. There are other problems associated with that, and it doesn't make the problem go away. The other thing that is characteristic of post-traumatic stress is that there is a hyper-arousal. One of the things that I teach my clients and that we go over in the group is something called the fight-or-flight response, and that is exactly what's happening. When we experience stress or post-traumatic stress or this fight-or-flight response, which we experience for any number of reasons, it can actually be a, a perfectly normal adaptive response. If you're walking down the street and you step off and a car is barreling up on you and going to hit you, you go into that startle response, but that gives you quick reflexes, the ability to get out of the way. It's a survival mechanism. But the problem is, is that many people experience that in rather routine situations when you don't need all of those chemicals running through your body to give you that fast response, uh, that, that fight or flight response. Sometimes people experience it it's kind of their normal, how they go through the day. They, they're they always rushed. They're very panicked. Um, they can have stress responses to very routine things. They uh, they can be fighting with coworkers or their partners or their children, and that can set off a fight or flight response. But in the situation of a post-traumatic stress response, that's what's getting triggered. And that is not only an emotional experience, but it's a physical one. And your body is dumping cortisol into your body. That has other downstream effects on your health. So you can imagine if you're in that state more often than not, it really can take a toll on your health. It's going to interfere with your sleep. It's uh, makes people very prone to having outbursts of anger or anxiety or fear that can be very hard for people around you to understand or be sympathetic towards uh, because it can be very overwhelming and frightening. If you don't know what's going on and you can't explain it and they don't know what's going on, it can just really set off a whole do loop of stress and anxiety and fighting and disconnection that doesn't help when you actually have to address this and actually develop some more effective coping. And when this is going on, these kind of arousal um, kind of symptoms, they that actually can uh, result in something that they call hypervigilance, where you're just kind of always scanning your environment and your interactions with people for the potential that this might happen. So that kind of feeling and stress and anxiety can actually be a constant kind of thing, not necessarily something that's triggered. Something's going on is that they're always fearful, they're always stressed, they're always hypervigilant. Sounds, sudden noises, uh, sudden lights can be very distressing, can become 
very upsetting. One of the things that I know that I'm personally more sensitive to as I get older is noise. And noise can really uh, affect me in ways that other things can't. So if you're in this kind of situation, I think knowing what your triggers are can be very helpful in terms of getting a handle on it, or at least preparing yourself to navigate some of the things that we have to navigate. And one of the things that I want to spend a few minutes talking about specifically are uh, what can happen with our moods and with our thinking. Uh, I think that we can experience some of this even if we're not having a post-traumatic stress response. And if we are having a post-traumatic stress response, it can be even more debilitating and difficult. From a mood perspective and uh, the experience of going through it, a lot of people dissociate and disconnect. So that means that you just are not even aware of or engaging with what's going on around you. It's very characteristic of a post-traumatic stress response. It's something like a medical appointment or something where you're trying to ask questions and engage and you want to remember the answers. Sometimes it can be really hard to remember when you're in this kind of overreactive state, your body is not taking in information for the purpose of remembering it later. It's actually responding to what's going on here and now. It's a survival response to the what's happening here and now. So this can become really debilitating when you're trying to engage in your care and make some of these decisions that we need to make. Another way that this can come up is you can get very negative and and very stressed about the world. And this can be uh, very difficult to deal with and certainly something that comes up when the people around you don't necessarily understand or they're impatient and they want you to feel better and they want you to stop being so negative and stop talking about it and stop doing this and stop doing that. Well, people may respond that way. It just doesn't necessarily mean that you have the ability to do it. It can, um, this can also bring up a lot of guilt and shame. And I think that that's kind of the hidden uh, feelings that many people are experiencing underneath cancer. It's amazing to me that there still can be so much judgment around cancer. I've had people say to me personally that what did I do to bring it on and somehow was my fault or that I wasn't uh, optimistic enough or didn't have a good enough attitude. So that must be what caused it. Cancer is cancer. It's a a physical process. You you don't bring it on by what you think, what you do, what you eat, you know, whatever. There's a lot of guilt and shame that underlies this diagnosis, and um, I think that's really important to acknowledge because it can be really hard to get support from other people, not because there's anything wrong with you, but because there's something wrong with that. People can be very rude and insensitive and just clueless about how to support somebody going through this process, but it can be very hard to take care of yourself and to deal with that kind of thing with friends and family when you've got an underlying sense of guilt and shame going on for yourself. So I just bring that up. There's no uh, easy answer, but I just think that it's important to acknowledge that it's there. The more we're in that place of blaming ourselves, the less able we are to move through this and to constructively take care of ourselves. And last but not least, when you're in a depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress spectrum, it can be really hard to have any enjoyment in life. And we're already dealing with enough going through treatment. We don't feel good. We're doing toxic treatments. We are going through body disfigurement issues. We have gone through, many of us have gone through amputations. It affects our sex life. It affects our hormones. It affects our mood. This is a pervasive problem. It's not just an issue of cancer and what treatment you decide. It's a matter of dealing with the emotional and psychological effects of this disease. Oftentimes that that 
manifests itself in the fact that it can be very hard to find any pleasure or enjoyment in life. And if that's the case, I really, really want to encourage you to reach out to connect with people who understand what you're going through, uh, to connect with other cancer survivors, to, uh, to find support and not uh, go through this alone. I think that's actually can be the most difficult and isolating thing to do is to feel like you have to go through this alone. And I think the most constructive thing that sometimes we can do is reach out no matter how difficult that can be. That can be one person. It doesn't have to be anybody that's close to you. You know, maybe it's reaching out to a professional or or to another survivor or a group or please feel free to reach out to me. I think finding support and understanding is a really important part of healing. So those are the main symptoms and ways that it can present in your life. And um, I, I just want to emphasize that a large part of this, if you're in the throes of this, is that it can be an issue of disconnection. At a time when you're trying to recover and you're trying to figure out how to be involved in your life, if you're suffering from post-traumatic stress, the characteristic sign of being in post-traumatic stress is feeling disconnected and numb as it comes to the rest of the world. So that is why I think it's so important to know if you're on the spectrum of this, and if this is something that you do need to get more formal support for. In terms of dealing with post-traumatic stress, which can be an ongoing process and usually is an ongoing process, for me, it really comes down to learning how to take care of yourself, some self-care skills. As I said, one of the things that I think you can do is to be able to be very verbal about identifying it, knowing that it's happening for you and being able to tell important people in your world that that's what's going on for you. In terms of uh, techniques to get through it, one of the important things that you can do is to have a practice of a relaxation practice, um, a deep breathing practice. There are many apps that you can get on your phone. Uh, I think Calm is uh, one of them, where they have very short two to three minute breathing exercises that you can uh, put in headphones and listen to. And I recommend that you do that when you're not feeling activated, Uh, but do it two or three times a day to kind of train your body to be in a more relaxed state. What people don't understand is that it's physically impossible to be activated in an adrenalized stress state and actually be doing deep breathing at the same time. One of the things that happens when you're in this stress state is we learn to breathe very shallow and rapidly because that's that's what we do to survive. So if you can consciously bring yourself to a place of slowing down your breathing, focusing on your breathing, getting deep into your body, it can actually short circuit and an escalating stress response. I know it sounds really simple, and it is, but it's not necessarily easy. Being simple and easy and remembering to do it in the moment don't always go together automatically. That's why it's important to practice this and have this as a tool that you go to when you know that you're going into an intense anxiety response. Some other things that you can do in terms of self-care is... Um, Uh, keeping a journal. Uh, 
Actually, they've done many studies for for many decades, actually, that show that that people who journal 15 and 20 minutes a day, I mean, not, not, you know, excessively long periods of time, but people who journal actually have um, less depression, less anxiety, and better cognitive performance just from the act of journaling. So that is another self-care skill that you can implement um, for yourself. And that's something that I think is really valuable because it it's something that you don't have to share with anybody if you don't want to, but it can really help give you some clarity and understanding and a, and a way to calm down and take care of yourself if you are having um, difficult emotions. And funny enough, I learned this when I was a pediatric nurse, and it's something that I actually do. I love to recommend to other people to do it, but coloring is an incredibly grounding activity. Remember when you were a kid and you could, you know, take out your coloring book and crayons and color for hours? That is actually a very therapeutic response. And so if you don't want to go out and buy one of these very expensive adult coloring books, you can actually get um, coloring books and crayons. I have them in my closet. Sometimes if you're in a very stressed, distracted state, just sitting down and coloring or drawing or writing can be a very grounding and centering activity. Now, granted, that's not going to get you through your next MRI, but maybe it will. Take it with you, you know, or, or doodle on your or your on your iPhone. But but having these kind of skills, it's not like there's a magic bullet. But having these kind of uh, tools to go to can take you out of that disconnected, disengaged place that accompanies a post-traumatic stress response and help bring you to a more present state, so that you can take care of yourself and engage with what's going on. If you are someplace, you know, say you're at work or at a place where you can't do any of those things, sometimes putting on some soothing music can be really calming and really helpful and really help get you out of that anxiety loop where you're having distressing thoughts. One of the songs that I personally love and that that helps me all the time is Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. And I can turn that on. And for those of you that are old enough, you remember um, a show, it was called Name That Tune. I can name that tune in three notes, and I can tell you that Bob Marley, just the, the, the introduction to that can automatically just be a very calming and soothing thing for me. So find what that music is for yourself and have it in your iPhone and put in earphones. Just allow yourself to engage in something that's going to get you out of you know the rumination and the anxiety-producing thoughts that we can sometimes get stuck in. At a more formal level, certainly finding a therapist who is experienced in post-traumatic stress can be very helpful. Uh, not everybody, even therapists, uh, know post-traumatic stress. I'm thinking of therapists who are actually trained in EMDR, which is an eye movement technique uh, they can teach you that can be very helpful in breaking this kind of cycle that you can be in. So finding a therapist experience with EMDR can be very helpful. One of the things that's very popular right now is something called tapping. Tapping is something that you can teach yourself. It's a very easy thing to learn, and it's something that can be very helpful in terms of dealing with stress responses. So that is also something I would recommend that you find out about. As I said, having a confidant, somebody that you can talk to, somebody that you can trust, somebody that you can reach out to, particularly if you're in a 
difficult place is a really good thing. That's one of the things that having a group program can be very helpful with is having people who can be very understanding of what you're going through. Because I think that one of the things that uh, can happen is you can just feel so alone and so much like no one understands you and what you're going through that that it can become incredibly isolating. So sometimes being in a group experience with other people who have gone through similar experiences can be very supportive. But most important, and the thing that I want to emphasize in closing uh, this um, uh, podcast today, is to really encourage you to reach out in whatever way you can and to not be isolated and not be alone. Uh, That is the thing that just can feed on itself and make any emotional issue that you're dealing with that much worse. The fact is, is that this is a difficult road that none of us would choose, but we don't have to do it alone. And there is support. There are people that will understand and there are people that you can reach out to. So in closing, that's what I really want to emphasize is to really encourage you to not go through this alone, however that may look for you. I hope this has been really helpful for you today. This is something that, as I said, I have personally experienced and it actually is the reason that I've studied this for so many years is because I think that we need to know about it. I think we need to have effective ways helping ourselves and certainly stopping being in the midst of one of these triggering events. If anything I've said to you today brings up questions or resonates with you, please feel free to reach out to me. RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com is my email address. Actually, I would really love it if you would drop me a note and let me know what you think of this. If this is something that you feel was helpful, if this is something that uh, you've experienced, if there's anything about this you would like to know. I'm really interested in your feedback because this is something that I think that we need to do more education on. So please let me know if there's any questions you have, or if there's any way that I can support you and help you in your own process. Thanks so much. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or feedback, you can reach Deborah at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com or her website, www.MindBodyNutritionRN.com. You can also find us on Facebook under Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. For future episodes, subscribe on iTunes, where you can also leave positive reviews. Until next time.